Well, good morning. I want to welcome all of you who are here today, and I want to say thanks for coming. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. And uh, the only other thing I want to say is, how about them Jayhawks, huh? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> you know you're not allowed to boo in church. Okay, no. I'm just so glad you're here, and, and I'm excited about um, what God is doing. And this morning, I think before I begin, I just want to challenge you with something, and that is this. I want to ask you a question. Are you in a place where you feel like things are impossible? Do you find yourself in a place where you never thought you would be, you've got decisions to make, in your wildest dreams, you want to do something that honors God, but it just seems like everything is impossible? I want you to know then you've come to the right place because God has a word for you today. Now, one of the things that I've noticed about this final four is that you see different phrases, and one of the phrases is, is that is the road to the final four, right? But if you notice now, that's a different phrase because now they're at the final four and they're in New Orleans. And now the phrase is, the journey ends here. I want you to know that the journey that you're on does not end here. And I want you to remember that God knows everything about you. I want to remind you that God has a plan for you and he has a hope for you. And today, he's gonna share with you how he's gonna accomplish that in your life. Now, I coached basketball for a long time, so I've been to a lot of basketball games. I've watched a lot of basketball games, just like many of you. And one of the things that I always love about a basketball game is when you go to the game and you watch what happens when the opponent gets to the free throw line. I mean, that's when the fans, and especially those students, will go nuts. And they're very creative. They will come up with anything they possibly can to distract you from making that free throw. And here's the funny thing about it. Did you know nowadays they keep track of how many makes and misses you do because they really believe that they impact the opponent when they're at the free throw line? What makes matters even worse is that, you know what, those backboards, now you can see right through them, and there isn't anywhere where you can look where you might not be distracted. But here's what I want to remind you of. The goal is still to make the free throw. You're going to get teased. You're going to get all of these distractions thrown at you, but the goal is to keep your mind on the task at hand, which is to make the free throw. But I'm telling you, there's some crazy things that happen. Take Coach, a look at this. From an early point, don't be looking at that and look at the front of the rim, but with uh, the swirly things that go around in the crowd, those, kinda, those are kind of hard to miss. And uh, sometimes they're pretty big. So when you're looking up at the rim, all you see behind the backboard is one of those big, uh, big swirly things that kind of get your attention. My favorite university that has made an art of this is Arizona State University. What they do, if you watch them, is that as soon as the free throw, everybody sets up for the free throw, and the free throw shooter is on the line, they bring out this curtain. And then what they do is they separate the curtain just when they're getting ready to, to shoot the free throw, and you never know what you're going to see. <laughs> so what do you do? 
What, what do you do? What do you tell your players when you're getting up there and you're being distracted? Well, here's what you tell them. Every coach tells them this. He says, you get up there, and the first thing you do is you keep your eyes on the front of the rim, and you focus on that, and you focus so hard on that that nothing else can distract you, and then you just go through your routine. Every free throw shooter has a routine. You just do it over and over again so you don't even have to think about it. A lot of free throw shooters will come up to the free throw line, and they'll find the drill mark, this, the drill hole that's in, in the middle of every, of every basketball court, and that drill mark is the center of the rim. So a lot of times they'll line up their foot and then they'll do whatever they normally do and then they shoot it. And they do that over and over and over again. What I remember that we used to do in practice was this. We would pipe in music. We would try everything we possibly could to distract the shooter. And our thinking was this. The more we could distract them, the more they would experience what distractions are so that when in the game they wouldn't be distracted. It's important in life, too, that we stay focused on the journey that God has for us because Satan's going to do everything he can to distract us. But we have to learn how to stay focused. Now, last week I showed you this Bible verse. Remember this? When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus pivoted right there and in his pivot, his eyes were drawn to his city of destiny, Jerusalem, and he was not going to be denied. Now, what I want you to understand is this. The devil knew that he could not distract Jesus, so he went after his disciples. So let me say that a little bif- different way this morning, okay? The devil knows that he can't distract Jesus, So he goes after his followers. That's you, and that's me. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. I'm reading from Matthew, excuse me, Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 59. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some of there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, in a world that is full of distractions, teach me how I can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
stay laser focused with my eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of my faith. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So we're in a series right now called Lessons Along the Road, and my dear friends, Jesus is on the road. He's in Jerusalem right now, and he knows why he's in Jerusalem. He's there to die. <laughs> that just blows my mind. He knew while he was there, and he was there to die. But I need to remind you of something. Jerusalem wasn't the end point. It wasn't the stopping point, remember? Jesus is on his way home, right? He's on his way home to be with his father. The road that God put him on just happened to go through Jerusalem where there would be pain, there would be suffering, there would be rejection, and there would be death. Now, on top of that, something else has been taking place. You see, Jesus has been spending a lot of time with his disciples. And what he's been doing is he took a group of followers, a group of disciples, a group of men, and he has been training them. He's been training them to be ready so that as he leaves, that they can take over his ministry. For three and a half years, the Bible says, Jesus has been teaching them. He's been walking with them. They've seen him do miracles. They've experienced things that no one has ever experienced before, all to build up their faith so that when the time was ready, he could send them out. And he's just about ready to do that, but he first has to die. And then he's raised from the dead, and then the Bible tells us that he goes back to his father. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples? He said, it's important that I go back to my father. Do you remember why? So that he could give the gift of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is what Jesus was going to use to speak into the lives of these disciples who were gonna go out and turn the world upside down with what he had started. Now I want you to remember, I told you just a few minutes ago that the devil was gonna go after the disciples. He knew he couldn't get Jesus, and so he focuses on the disciples, and watch what happens here. The devil says, Simon, Simon, excuse me, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now, here's what I want you to understand, and this is something that's really important for us to understand. Before Simon could go about, excuse me, before the devil could go about his work, he had asked permission from the Lord. Did you hear that, what I just said? Before the devil could go about his work, he had to go and ask for permission. Now, I don't know about you, but oh, does that give me great comfort and hope? Because you know what it means? It means that there's a plan for my life, and there's a plan for your life. Whatever it is that you're going through, you may be in a difficult time. You may be in an impossible situation, but I want you to understand, according to the Scriptures, God has given permission for this to happen to you. It's filtered through his fingertips. Now, my question now is that, so what does it mean when it says, Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift all of you? What did he mean by that? Here's what it means. You see, in those days, when they would separate the grain from all of the rest of the, the, the shaft and all of that, they would take it and they would throw it up in the air, and then the wind would blow all the chaff away, and then what you would have left is the grain. And so here's what Jesus was saying that the devil was wanting to do. 
He was wanting to get in to the disciples, and he wanted to sift through them so he could scatter them. Sift and scatter. Sift and scatter. My dear friends in Christ, you know how long the devil has been trying to do that in our lives? He's been doing it from the very beginning. What does Satan want to do? In what you're going through right now, he wants to scatter you. He wants to get you away from the rest of the believers. He wants you by yourself. Why? Because when you're alone, that's when he can destroy you. And he's going to speak things that are untrue to your mind and to your heart. He's going to tell you lies because he's the father of lies, right? Whatever you're going through, discern the voices that are speaking to you. Know the difference between when Satan is speaking, and you know that because it's a lie, and then recognize when the Lord God is speaking to you. Now remember, I told you that the devil desired all of the disciples, but his focus is on Peter. Why would he go after Peter? Why is he so intent about Peter? And here's the answer, because Peter's the leader. Anywhere you see in scriptures, Peter's always mentioned first. He's the leader, and here's what the devil knows. If he can take down the leader, then he can take down the group. And that's why the devil goes after our men. That's why he goes after fathers. That's why he goes after husbands, because he can take out the leader, he can destroy the family. Let me show you something here in the scriptures. But I have prayed for you, Simon, this is Jesus still talking, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So do you understand what just happened here? <laughs> Jesus just gave permission for, for the devil to sift through the disciples and, and Peter. But then if you look at this, and you will see that, but Jesus also now focuses on Simon. And what does he say to Peter? Here's what he says. He goes, Peter, look at me you're going to get tripped up. And you're going to fail. But after you've been through what you're going through, you use it to encourage others. And so here's what I wanted to say to you this morning. I don't know what it is that you're going through. I don't know the impossible situation. I don't know the hurt. I don't know the mistakes maybe that you've made. But here's what I want you to hear what our Lord says to you. He says to you, he calls you by name, and he goes, I know where you're at, and I know what you're going through. But when you're done going through this, use it to make a difference in somebody else's life. Wow. All right, now, if I were to ask you a question, excuse me, if I were to say to you, tell me what you know about Peter, what would you say? Or maybe I should say, so how do you remember Peter? Peter the apostle, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Maybe some of you might say something like this. Peter, oh yeah, I remember him. He's the guy that took the short walk on the water. Or some of you might say, no, 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 Peter was the guy who witnessed the transfiguration. He was up there. Or maybe you might say, no, 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 Peter was the guy who spoke that amazing sermon at Pentecost, and thousands came to know the Lord because of him. No, 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 Peter's that guy that when his shadow crossed around those people who were sick, they were healed. That's Peter. Or maybe you would say, oh, no, 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 no. Peter's the one in Caesarea Philippi when Jesus said, who do you say that at? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
But you know what 99.9% of believers remember Peter for? He betrayed and he denied knowing his best friend. Right? So let me ask you this question. How would you like to be known for your failures? How would you like the entire world to know you for your failure? All right, now, the next question I want to know the answer to is this. All right, we know that Satan wanted to go after the disciples, and he had focused on Peter. Can you please tell me, Pastor Bob, why Peter? Why was it? What was it about Peter that Satan wanted? And why was it that the Lord gave him permission to sift through Peter? Well, let's look and see. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die for you, I will never disown you, and all the others say the same. So I just want to kind of make sure you understand what's going on. How many times in the Bible do you see Peter speak, and then he engages his brain later? I mean, he always puts his foot in his mouth. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, right, Peter, good. My father just told you that. And then he says, you're not dying on my watch. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, Peter, on this day, you're going to die me. I won't deny you. In fact, I will die with you. In fact, you just stay behind me because I got your back, Jesus. That's what he's telling Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to understand, okay? And Simon Peter's got a little bit of what Bob Beckler has. He's got a pride problem. And you know what? He needs to be humbled. (laughs) And Jesus is an expert at that. (laughs) So you know what happens? The Lord allows for the devil to come and to work through Peter to bring about a change in his heart. Take a look at this, what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, okay? Therefore, let no one thinks he stands firm immune to temptation, being overconfident or self-righteous, take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. You see, as the Lord looks at Peter, he knows he wants to use Peter. He's got big plans for Peter, but he's got to have a heart change. And so God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let you, I'm going to use Peter's own mistakes, his own failures, and I'm going to use that to humble him, and I'm going to use it to make him and mold him to become the man that I need him to be, to lead my church. All right, now here's something that you need to understand about this, okay? When God does his molding, when he does his reshaping, it's not fun. And he doesn't do it through success. So I just want you to think about where you are right now. Maybe you have a a disease. Maybe you just found out you have a terminal disease. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe, maybe you've got some finance, maybe you've got some relationship problems or whatever. Here's what I want you to remember, okay? Here it is. Brokenness is the key to usefulness. I wish I could tell you something different. But that's God's classroom. And that's what Peter needed. He had big plans for Peter, 
but Peter needed to be broken. All right, now just let me tell you something, okay, for where you may be right now, your problem. Why is it that God wants us to thank us for our problems? And here's why the answer is that is this. Maybe you just got word that you have a disease that you never thought you would get. Here's what I want you to hear. You should consider yourself honored that God would choose you to be used to bring glory to his name. You may think that's pretty cold, Pastor Bob, but it's the truth. And you know what? If you remember that this is not your home, your home is in heaven, you'll be able to adjust with that a lot easier. But if you're focused on everything here on earth, you're going to have troubles with that. As the Lord uses you and as he breaks you, I can promise you this, he's got a plan for you. So here's your choice. Number one, you can complain, or number two, you can say, okay, Lord, here I am. I don't know why I have what I have. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through, but here's what I do know. It's already filtered through your fingertips. And if it's filtered through your fingertips, then you know what? I know you've got a plan. I may not understand it right now, but I'm giving you permission to use me. And God, I just want you to get the glory. That's the person that God can use in a mighty way and in bigger ways that you could think or imagine. All right. So Peter's now in the courtyard. You know how he got in the courtyard? Because of his friend John. This is something that, it's not that I didn't realize this, but I never really grabbed onto it, and we were talking about it among some of us this week. But John was Peter's ticket into the courtyard because John was known well by the high priest. And so now Peter is now in the courtyard, and it's because he knows John. So what does he do? It must be cold out that night because there's fires, and so Peter finds a place in the fire next to it, and watch what happens here. Then seizing him, they led him and took him away into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And I want to just share with you this morning, here's the first reason why Peter failed, okay? The very first reason why Peter failed. Here it is. He followed Jesus at a distance. I mean, the Bible tells us right there, he followed Peter at a distance. So can I just ask you a question? So in your relationship with Christ, and when you're following him, where are you located? Are you behind him? Are you in front of him? But where are you following him at a distance? Here's what I want you to hear. You know what this means? We live our lives so that we look the part, right? We look the part, but we do it in such a way that the rest of the world can't really tell that we're followers of Christ. Oh, we do the amount and the minimum that's required but we do it in a way so that it makes us look like everybody else. And you know what? We look just like the world. And this is what I believe that unbelievers have with us. This is the problem. Why don't you just live and act like you say you believe and then I could understand? Let's go on. 
A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I, do, I don't know him, he said. Now, here's one of the things that I just want you to know. Isn't it amazing how fast we can build a testimony and we can lose it like that? We're all one decision away from a big mess, right? And I'm talking about me too. But what happens here is this. Peter gets caught off guard, my friends. He was ready to go. He was raring to go. He knows I'm going to be around a lot of people who would be my enemies. And you know what? I'm just going to kind of keep my head covered, and I'm going to keep my head down low, but I'm ready to go. And if anybody comes after me, I'm ready to fight him. And then a little girl, a little girl, he never saw that coming. Satan just took the rug right out from underneath him, and a little girl is looking at him. And Peter's looking at all these guys, and all of a sudden he spots this little girl, and in his mind he's saying, what are you staring at? And she notices him. And what does she say? You. You. And all the people are sitting around the fire are now focused on Peter. You were with him. You are one of them. And what does Peter say? He screams out, I do not know him. Here's the second thing that we need to remember. We need to decide in advance what you believe so that when the temptation comes, you already have your answer. There are people in this room that see you throughout the week. You may not even realize it. And one day, they may walk up to you and say, hey, Kent, can you tell me, tell me why you believe what you believe? And you know what? You need to be ready with an answer. Now, here's the thing about this that I think is hilarious, okay? Look at this next scripture verse. Okay, before we read it, who wrote it? Peter. <laughs> it's Peter. The guy's learned from his lesson. But look at what he says. Quietly trust yourself to Christ, your Lord. And if anybody asks why you believe as you do, be ready to tell him and do it in a gentle and a respectful way. All right, now, I don't know if you notice this or understand this, but do you realize that Peter is living not in the spirit but in the flesh? Do you know the difference what it is when you're living in the spirit compared to when you're living in the flesh? How do we know that Peter was living in the flesh? Because just a couple hours ago, he tried to rip somebody's head off with a sword. Remember? There was a servant. His name was Malchus. Thank the Lord that Peter's a horrible shot. Okay? And he misses his head and he gets an ear. And what does Jesus do? Jesus bends over and he picks up the ear and he, glue, and he doesn't glue it back on. Sorry. Okay? <laughs> That was really bad. Okay. But he healed it back on, right? Why did Peter do that? He did that because he was afraid and he was angry. He didn't know what to do, and so he reacted with anger. And here's what I want you to remember. That very first temptation that Peter failed with now paved the way for the rest of them. Now look at something here, okay? Mark is the only gospel writer who tells us that there were two rooster sounds. All of the rest of them say there was only one. 
But Mark, if you go back to verse 30, he tells us that there were two. Now, here's what I want you to do. Look what it says. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Okay, so here's the picture. So Peter denies knowing, and then he gets up and he leaves them because he wants to get away from them, and he goes by himself. Now, here's what I'm wondering if this happened. I just want you to think about this for a moment. If Peter was told that there were two rooster crows, after the first temptation, and he falls, he fails, he denies knowing Jesus, he goes, after by, he goes somewhere by himself, he's got a collective thought, and all of a sudden he hears a rooster. Wouldn't you think that the rooster would remind him, I told you you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice? But that didn't happen. You know why? because Peter already made the first lie, and now he has to cover up that lie with other lies. Look at this. Don't forget to pray. This is the third thing. Now, here's why I put this in here, okay? Listen very carefully. People who are living in the flesh don't think they need to pray. I know I don't. I'm gung-ho, get out of my way, yee-haw. Okay? I know what I got to do. Lord, bless the work of my hands, and I'm moving forward. But you know what? That's what it looks like when you're reacting. But when you're responding every step you're taking, oh, Jesus, guard my tongue. Help me keep my mouth shut. May I only speak when you tell me to speak. Guard my eyes. That's what a person sounds like who is responding to the Spirit. Here we go. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also were one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Okay, now we've got two denials. Okay, now it gets good. Watch, okay? After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Now we go on to the next one, and it gets worse. One of the high priest servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see him with you with him in the garden? So here's what happens. Somebody not only saw him, but they recognized him. And then they tell him, your speech gives you away. You know what? If I'm talking to somebody from Arkansas, I know I'm talking to somebody from Arkansas, right? You can tell they've got that southern draw type of thing. And now here these people are, they're saying, and one of them was a relative of Malchus, who I'm sure told him the story, and he goes, listen, I know who you are. You were with him, and your speech gives you away. Now, here's my question for each one of you. Does your speech give you away? When you're talking, when you're out in the world and you're speaking, can people tell that you belong to Jesus? Do they know that you're a follower of Jesus? Or does your speech give you away? I want to close with this. When Peter denied Jesus the third time, he heard the rooster crow. And the Bible tells us he knew. If you were Peter, what would be going through your mind? He was right. I blew it. He'll never love me again. 
I can never be used by him again. I'm supposed to know better. And I am nothing more than a piece of trash. And then, look what happens. Only Luke records this. Let's read that together, okay? Here we go, ready? The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Oh, my word. (laughs) He is so busted. (laughs) Have you ever had a time in your life, Nicole probably could tell this story, have you ever had a time in your life when you did something wrong and you didn't know it, but your mom or dad were standing right behind you? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I know you were perfect, Nicole. That never happened. But can you relate to that? I mean, maybe you were told not to do something, and you think you're getting away with it, and you turn around and, oh! It's like, there's nothing you can say. And that's where we find Peter. There isn't a word he can say, because Jesus is looking right at him. Now, here's the thing that is most important to you that I want you to hear as we leave. In Jesus' look, what do you think he was saying? You know what I would have thought he was saying? I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed in you, Bob. I even told you this was going to happen, and you still failed. And I'm sure that's what Satan was doing inside of Peter. He was trying to make him feel like the biggest failure. But hear me loud and clear that's not the look Jesus gave Peter. Jesus gave Peter a look of compassion. It was a look of love. It was a look that said, Peter, it's going to be okay. I know you feel bad. I know you feel horrible. Don't beat yourself up. This is why I came. And I just want you to hear that today. Whatever it is. And maybe you're at that point, in that moment, when you're getting the look from Jesus... And I want to make sure you read his eyes right. He's not disappointed in you. He's not saying, I'm ashamed of you. He has a look of compassion. He says, I love you. And remember, there is now no condemnation. All there is is love. So use what you're going through. Let's use it together to encourage other people and we'll continue changing the world together. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, thanks for Peter. (laughs) Because that's me. I too have failed you. And I too have listened to the words of the devil as he's tried to sift me. But Lord, I know that look that comes from you and it is a look of love. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you that he went and paid the price for me and now when he looks at me, all he sees is the righteousness of Christ. Father, just help me to live that way. There's this tape recorder that keeps going on in my head, and it just replays over and over and over the same thing. Father, would you help me take that tape recorder and throw it away, and would you replace it with your word? You are my child, my beloved child. 
and I love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Receive the benediction as you leave. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace and his joy. And remember, it's always and it's only a look of love. God bless you. We'll see you next week.